This is an ABC podcast. I see myself as a genre novelist and for me it was just okay what a cool idea if you have a murder mystery where the corpse is the detective. Hi, I'm Claire Nichols and this is the book show where I bring you conversations with your favorite fiction authors. Right now it is booker season. The booker prize is arguably the most prestigious writing prize for authors in the English-speaking world. And to celebrate, I'm bringing you a series of conversations with previous winners of the prize. In 2022, Shehan Tilaka won the booker for his wild, spooky novel, The Seven Moons of Mali Almeida. It is a novel where our hero, Mali, is dead. The story is told from the afterlife as he tries to solve his own murder. The book is propulsive and funny and shocking, and it shines an important light on the recent violent history of Sri Lanka. The win for Mali Almeida is all the more remarkable for the fact that for a long time, Shehan couldn't get the book published for Western readers. Yeah, so it came out in the Indian subcontinent in 2020, just before the pandemic. And, um, after that, we were dealing with uh, with 2020 and 2021. But what I found is that, um, yeah, the book uh, was struggling to find a publisher outside of India. And India was quite quick to grab it, I think, because my first novel, Chinaman, was a bit of a cult uh, success there. And so they were keen to get this out. But um, publishers in the West who uh, who were favorable to the first book were saying, well, it's confusing and we're not sure it could quite engage a Western reader. So I did spend most of that pandemic um, rewrite, well, revising it, rewriting it. And um, yeah, so it, I think I'm doomed to rewrite all my books. Even the first one had to, the original was 600 pages and I had to edit it down. Uh, but I think, well, eventually it was time uh, well spent uh, because then The Seven Moons of Mali Almeida, the original uh, title was Chats with the Dead. Um, they are the same book, but I think Seven Moons benefits from uh, having an expert editor like Natanya Jans of Sort of Books who was working with me. It must be hard, though, to, you know, do all the work that it takes to get a novel published, put it out there in the world and say it's done and then get told, oh, no, if you want to want to release this, <laughs> you know, to the Western market, guess what? Uh, you've got to go back and do this all again. Mm. Well, also... Um, my previous day job was being a copywriter in an ad agency. So I'm used to uh, your copy coming back with the uh, client wants this changed and that changed. Uh, you know, that's part of, uh, and you know, when you're young, you sulk about it, but then you realize, okay, just got to get on with it. So, so rewriting something, that wasn't an issue. Um, but also I think writers in, especially in Colombo, in Gaul, and in Sri Lanka generally, you know, you don't you don't expect that whatever you write is going to be published internationally. I mean, that's uh, you hope that perhaps it'll get into India, and then after that, getting into the UK, it's it's uphill task. So you never take that for granted. And um, yeah, I could see when you're working with a skilled editor, um, and she's very polite. She said, "I think it's a terrific book, but we just need to fix the." the beginning and uh, the ending doesn't quite land and the middle gets boring. But other than that, uh, I think, you know, it's got a lot of potential and um, it was it was a pleasure working with her. But yeah, you're right, it is difficult. Um, I have a short story collection that came out in India. I suspect that might go through some more revisions. So rewriting books t- tends to be my thing, but uh, 
I think it's fine as long as the the end product. You you know it gets better with each rewrite. That's the thing with any piece of writing. So, yeah, happy to put in the hours. And and if you win the Booker, I mean that's a pretty good reward, <laughs> isn't it, for the extra effort? Yes, yes. Uh, we didn't know that at the time. Uh, I don't think. Uh, I don't know if even she entertained these big ambitions, but uh, yeah, getting the thing done, that was achievement enough, I think. But yeah, obviously, because of the booker now, both books are being widely read. And uh, yeah, I just have to make sure the third one doesn't suck. I think that's the (laughs) job for me. No pressure. (laughs) Um, I want to get into The Seven Moons of Mali Almeida in a little bit more detail, Shayhan. Perhaps first you could tell us who uh, Richard DeZoysa was. Well, I'd, the initial research was looking back on that, that dark year, 1989, where um, there were wars on three fronts. There was the separatist war with the, with the Tamil Tigers. There was a Marxist insurrection in the south, and the Indian peacekeeping force was on, on the ground. And I just remember that time, I mean, I was a teenager, but lots of unsolved murders, corpses on the side of the road, unidentified. And the most famous of these was Richard de Sousa. Uh, simply because uh, whenever someone got murdered during that time, it was it was a journalist or activist, uh, Singhala or Tamil speaking, whose name gets forgotten. But Richard de Sousa was an English-speaking uh, middle-class guy who was well-known as an actor, as an activist, as a theatre person, as a poet. And uh, that really shook up at least middle-class Colombo. I remember the fact that no one was safe. They could uh, come after so-called one of us. And his murder, again unsolved, many conspiracy theories. Um, and so I, that's where I began. And Mali Almeida is certainly not Richard de Soisa. They share certain character traits, but I think that, that was my starting point, researching uh, uh, Richard de Soisa, Dr. Rajani Tiranagama, who also appears as Dr. Rani. And basically all the ghosts in, um, in Seven Moons is based loosely on an unsolved murder of that time. But uh, Richard de Soisa, he was... Um, yeah, his body was found in, uh, I think, early 1990. Now, Mali Almeida was a war photographer, which was obviously a huge part of the plot that he had all these photographs of Sri Lankan atrocities that he wanted the world to see. Uh, he was a gambler, um, none of which uh, re- of these traits Richard de Sousa shared, but Richard de Sousa was a closeted gay man, and that's uh, what Mal- that, I think that's the sole thing that Mali Almeida retained during successive drafts. Um, but yeah, that was the starting point. And Richard's story is pretty well documented and dramatized. Um, and I think when you spend so much time on a book and with a character, the character ends up evolving into its own person. Um, so yeah, I'd say Richard was the starting point, but Mali Almeida is, is, is his own character. Absolutely. I wonder though, in paying tribute to these people who were murdered during this terrible year, um, is, is this about honoring their lives in some way? Well, I'd like to say that was the intention, perhaps it was, but I I see myself as a genre novelist, and for me it was just, okay, what a cool idea if you have a murder mystery where the corpse is the detective, <laughs> and then I can talk to lots of ghosts, and um, I think just, just reading about their stories, because I was, I was a teenager and we were insulated, Colombo's always been insulated from the rest of the country, even during the economic crisis when things are a bit better, we forget about the suffering of other, and I think during the war, the war, it was almost like the war was happening in another country and we distracted ourselves with with cricket and just getting on with life. And um, so I think uh, for me, just the, the process of researching this period was learning about 
uh, and you know the real story is far far more gruesome than this. Um, but in the end, um, wh- one of the most moving bits of feedback I got was um, Dr. Rajini Thiranagama's daughters. Uh, so Ra- Dr. Rajini Thiranagama was a, a a Tamil moderate who um, uh, was murdered by the tigers uh, in her thirties, and so her her daughters, who were I think aged eight and ten at the time, uh, they read the book, and you know. You're quite worried how how you're going to portray uh, beloved loved ones, and um, uh, she, they, they like Narmada Thiranagama. She tweeted saying, "It's it's really strange to meet my mother again in fiction, and I don't know how you know Shehan has never met her, but he she was just as bossy as she was in real life, and things like that, which I had no idea of. Um, so in the end, yes, I." I suppose I did end up paying tribute to them, but I'm not sure that was the intention uh, at the beginning. It was just curiosity and trying to write about this period that we all seem to have forgotten. Yeah. And and as you say, you're captured by a cool idea. What if a murder mystery could be investigated by the corpse? Um, so at the start mm. of the book, Mali Almeida wakes up. He's dead. He's in the afterlife. Um, how would you describe the afterlife you've created? Well, it was tough work, firstly, because uh, most ghost stories, you don't meet the ghost till the final act, if at all. And this, you meet the ghost right off the bat on page one. And then, yeah, firstly, I had to construct what ghosts do, what are the rules, how can they move about. But then, yeah, have some uh, some background uh, that's at least consistent. And so, you know, it's a tough thing to research. I did visit haunted houses, clairvoyance. Really? <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, a lot of this research was procrastination. It was fun, but I'm not sure how much was useful. But again, read the religious texts, uh, philosophers, um, horror movies. And I think when I stumbled on the idea that the afterlife is a bureaucracy, uh, a Sri Lankan or South Asian bureaucracy where spirits are wandering around and trying to get their passport stamped to to walk into the light, this it had immediate absurdist comic appeal to write that that was my opening scene the the guy wakes up dead and uh, because also i think it we have this notion that when you uh, breathe your last or this um i mean it's wish fulfillment but uh, that that you know everything will be revealed all the answers will be revealed when you open your eyes but for him to open his eyes and absolute chaos no one knows what's that the spirit world is as disorganized as the world down below i that was I didn't know how it was going to resolve, but I felt that was something that made sense to me. It made sense why, perhaps an explanation why Sri Lanka goes from catastrophe to catastrophe. Maybe there are all these spirits waiting to get their visas stamped who are walking around whispering bad ideas in people's ears. Um, So yeah, it it was a lot of fun creating, but you know, I'd like to say it just came fully formed, but this was, took months to construct it and just, I think, above all, make sure that it followed its own set of rules. Even when you have a book of demons and talking animals, I think it, it's important that you make sure it's consistent and so that the at least the reader can be convinced while they're reading the book that maybe this, this is a possible explanation. Yeah, there are some fabulous rules like you travel on the wind, you, you can travel where your name is being spoken. Uh, do, I, mm. Did you have these rules written out somewhere so you could look back and say, what are the rules of this world I've created? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I had about 20 rules, I think they could, you know, all borrowed from horror movies and, uh, you know, that you could change the temperature, control insects, all of that. But in the end, we pared it down to, I think, those three rules you mentioned. Uh, So the first was that you could only go where your corpse has been. 
which made sense because most hauntings are either in cemeteries or in the house where the the ghost lived. Um, but yes, you could travel with the wind. That was just, I, I wrote a lot of this. I had young children, I still do, and I, I wrote it during, you know, three, four in the morning. And suddenly you get a gust of wind uh, blow past you or a door would slam and you think, wow, is someone sitting in this room talking to me? Which is, I think, most writers get that when they're in the, in the flows of writing that, yeah, is someone else dictating the story to me? But I think the most important one, uh, as you mentioned, was... Uh, you could go where your name was spoken, which was a convenient device for a murder mystery because wherever the name Mali Almeida was spoken, our hero could go there and, and find another suspect. But also I think it's got a, a deeper significance, which, you know, all this came later, that um, you, you sort of die a second death mm-hmm. when the last person on earth mentions your name or remembers you. Um, so those were the three main rules. Um, but I think navigating those and then the complex, the different types of ghosts, um, there, there's a lot of folklore, Sri, Lank- uh, you know, Sri Lankan folklore has been written about. There's, there's an academic uh, paper published in the 1920s which lists all the types of demons. I don't know what the kind of research went into that, but yeah, uh, I borrowed uh, quite freely from that. That is very cool. Um, I, mm. I also was distracted by you saying you went to haunted houses. Um, mm. Have you been haunted, Shayhan? No, so I'm I'm happy to report I did not see a ghost. That doesn't mean they don't exist. Um, I just, uh, well, according to, I think, Sri Lankan folklore, you, you either see them or you feel them or nothing at all. So I think I'm one of the nothing at all people and that's fine with me. Um, but yeah, went to these uh, places, quite creepy places, plantation bungalows, um, tsunami villages. But I think what was more interesting than actually... Uh, seeing paranormal activity was the stories surrounding these places. So you notice that wherever there's been a tragedy, there are ghost stories. So if there was a village where the young people went missing, they see apparitions in the jungle. Um, And same with uh, towns that were ravaged by the tsunami. There there were reports of um, figures coming out of the ocean. So that just seems, I mean, you can read it either way, that there are all these restless souls in these places, or maybe... That's a way of remembering them uh, through the ghost story. Hmm. Uh, can you explain the concept of the seven moons? Yes, again, this uh, borrows from local uh, superstition. So we, uh, after, after the funeral or after the death, uh, seven days afterwards, we have an almsgiving or a blessing. And the belief is that the spirit hovers around for seven days before it moves on to its next resting place. If it misses that seven moons, then uh, uh, we have another blessing after three months. And um, this was, again, a convenient thing for... Because I'm still working within the murder mystery convention. So this was your ticking clock. So Mali Almeida has seven days in which to find out who killed him, uh, make peace with uh, his loved ones who he might have mistreated. And um, and also, I think, the, the political thriller angle that he has all these unpublished photographs that he wants the world to see. So he had his missions, he had the rules of the afterlife, and then he had these seven moons in which to achieve them. So, yeah, that's where it came from. I was really moved in this story by the love affair between Marley and his boyfriend, who's known as DD. Um, it's a really unconventional love story in many ways. Um, to start mm. with, Marley would never describe himself as a gay man. He says... He's a handsome man who enjoyed beautiful boys. Um, mm. he, he, he doesn't say he's gay because, what, because of the danger of saying that? Well, I think, okay, it's 1989 and I think wherever in the world um, at that time, I mean, we, 
it's easy to look at it with a lens of 2022, but in 89, certainly in Colombo, even in liberal English-speaking circles, uh, you couldn't come out of the closet. Uh, and uh, I suspect that's still difficult. Now, I mean, it's only now that homosexuality is being decriminalized in Sri Lanka. Not that, you know, the society is particularly homophobic, but I think certainly in 89, you wouldn't have, and, and that's perhaps an explanation why Mali Almeida himself would go to these dangerous places, because he couldn't be openly be himself uh, in Colombo society in 1989. Um, and also, it, it's, it's a complex love triangle there. He has a, has a girlfriend for the world to see, uh, Jackie, uh, who's in love with him, and then he also has uh, Dee Dee, who, who he's in love with. So this, this bizarre love triangle, I think this is something that, in the edit, I mean, while we were editing also for a Western reader, we were looking at, I think one of the uh, one of the notes I got was, you know, Mali Almeida's not very likable. And uh, what can we do about that? And I'm not sure he's likable even in the final reckoning. But I think one thing we paid attention to is to look at his relationships um, with his boyfriend, with his girlfriend, with his mom and his dad. And, and even if he doesn't end up likable, at least you can explain where, where, where his selfishness, his self-centeredness comes from. But yeah, that, that, that relationship ended up evolving and uh, going on its own arc. And um, yeah, we spent so, yeah, there's a lot of moving parts, which is perhaps why it took so long. So you have the love triangle, the ghost story, the murder mystery, the political thriller, and a few jokes as well. <laughs> so I think the, the, the main task, I think, was just to make sure that everything, all the instruments weren't playing at once and that at least... The, the reader could follow the pacing of The Seven Moons and The Murder Mystery. Yeah, I think you do that really well. Uh, I did want to talk just a little bit more about Dee Dee and Marley because I should point yeah. out that uh, Marley is spectacularly unfaithful to <laughs> Dee Dee. Mm. Um, but the love is real and moving between these two. Uh, do you know why the relationship between Marley and Dee Dee does work despite Marley's appalling behaviour? Well, I'm glad to hear you say that because a lot of people say, yeah, you depict Dee Dee as such a bimbo and you're really being... And I thought I was being... But also, you're, you're, you're hearing about this relationship through Marley's telling. And it's only maybe towards the end that you realize there's another perspective to this. Um, but I don't know. I, I did spend a, a lot of time kind of looking at their interactions and, um, you know, you're right. I think Marley does love Dee Dee, but... Uh, there's, a, there's nothing but contempt all through it because he, Mali Almeida sees the Colombo bubble, which I described earlier, and Didi being very much part of it, uh, a Colombo Sri Lankan who's oblivious to all the problems that's going on. And he, he ridicules Didi a lot over this, and they have frequent clashes. Um, but yeah, I think in the end, Didi is not as dim as Mali thinks he is. And uh, Mali ends up, I mean, without giving any spoilers, um, he ends up doing things for his loved ones that he probably didn't do in, in his real life and regrets. Mm. A weird side effect of you being the reigning booker winner, Shehan, is that you've mm. effectively become a commentator on Sri Lanka and Sri Lankan politics. How comfortably does that sit with you? That's one. Those are the questions I avoid at Litfests. But my wife keeps saying, you know, just talk about the book, talk about your nail polish, <laughs> stay away from politics. Um, and look, I I think there's 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 plenty of political commentators in Sri Lanka, um, and you know, I I'd still like to play my side of the street, which is uh, yeah, I'm a genre novelist, and I I go 
look, I, this book is set in 1989-1990. My first book was around the 1996 World Cup. So I'm not really a contemporary uh, commentator. I'm writing, if you like, historical fiction. But um, sadly, a lot of these issues are still relevant. Um, so, yeah, I have been... and. You could like yesterday. I was asked at this gala event here. How do you how do you win a Booker Prize? And um, yeah, the answer is I guess write a really good book, which is which is the toughest thing in the world. But also, I think when I was writing this, I was thinking, well, will people actually believe these terrible things happen? Because I was writing in 2016, 2017, a period which uh, we all thought was a new beginning for Sri Lanka, but. As fate would have it, the book comes out right at the time where we have our worst economic collapse. And so then, yeah, the book comes across as timely and prescient, even though none of those things were the intent. And so, yeah, I do get asked to talk about, I mean, 2022, when uh, la what a year last year was. Forget about the book. Uh, we, we had the nation on the verge of economic collapse and then the whole country on the street and the president fleeing. So I'm... There's enough for plenty of novels right there. Um, I mean, the only thing I say, I mean, I, I get drawn into these as much as I, but I, I tend to say, look, uh, you know, we had a torrid time in 2022, but nothing can compare to the terrors of 89. Because, I mean, thankfully, there, there were scattered incidents, but it was largely a peaceful protest. And uh, we don't have that level of violence and no one's getting shot at today in Sri Lanka. And we hope we never have to revisit those days again. Um, but yes, I, uh, I, I guess it's obvious question talking about Sri Lanka now and Sri Lanka then. Um, all I'll say is we, we, we keep going from catastrophe to catastrophe, and but each time we have that optimism. Like if you, depends who you talk to today in Sri Lanka. But uh, when people ask me what it's like, I just say it's 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 better than it was last year. Um, it's yeah, the queues have stopped and um, um, yeah, people are a lot more hopeful. But that doesn't mean the worst is over. There's still the working class and the poor are being pushed into deeper poverty and so there are all these challenges ahead it's like our cricket team really we we lose spectacularly all over the world but then we suddenly pull out a victory and everyone's like yes we're back and things are going to happen and that optimism is um, i mean something i guess you see in the book because the book is is quite a gruesome account of quite a dark period but um it has a humor and cheerfulness to it, and I think that's very much part of the Sri Lankan character. Um, but yeah, sorry, I said I wasn't going to get drawn into this, but I've ended up talking a lot I about it. I didn't even but, have uh, yeah. to ask you a question. <laughs> yeah. um, you were speaking about optimism and cheerfulness. Um, before I let you go, Shehan, can you tell me a little bit about your life as a children's writer? Yeah, so while I was struggling with this book... Um, yeah, I had two children, and so now they're aged eight and six, but at one point they were one and three, and uh, the writing of the book was proving quite difficult. And I just remember thinking, reading The Very Hungry Caterpillar, which sells a million copies every year and has done since the 60s, and I thought, and me and my brother, my brother's a, quite a talented designer, illustrator, we said, you know, we should forget trying to write literary novels that people may or may not read and take seven years. Let's try and knock out a hungry caterpillar and, um, and yeah, sell a million copies. And, um, I mean, that hasn't happened yet, but we <laughs> ended up doing, um, yeah, two books a year. So we've got about four in the, so far and we're doing a couple more. Um, and, yeah, your children are a great focus group. So I'm aiming at the zero to two or zero to four market, which uh, yeah, I just realized as a parent, you end up buying a lot of books at that time. And, um, yeah, it's... It, 
it's it's a fun diversion. Two kids' books uh, a year and maybe a novel every decade. Uh, hopefully, I can be faster on the novel. But uh, yeah, I'm enjoying it. But it's it's its own challenge. And I think as my kids grow older, I might end up getting into YA, which is yeah, a completely different ball game. But uh, for the moment, I'm enjoying it. So there's one on plants. Where shall I poop? The potty training book is, I believe, my masterpiece. Um, so yeah. Hopefully there'll be two more titles this year. Shehan Karinatilika, the winner of the Booker Prize in 2022. To hear more interviews with previous Booker winners, including Margaret Atwood, Bernadine Evaristo and Douglas Stewart, make sure you're following The Book Show on the ABC Listen app. I'm Claire Nichols, speaking to you from Wajuk Noongar land in Perth. Take care. ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more.